Thanks for joining us for the Minor Tweak Major Impact podcast. We're excited to have Dr. Rochi Amamoto as the guest for today's episode. Rochi is currently a postdoctoral fellow at Harvard Medical School in the lab of Dr. Connie Sepko. He did his undergrad at University of Illinois and completed his PhD at Harvard University in 2017. Rochi, I would like to welcome you to the Minor Tweak Major Impact podcast. Thanks for having me. Rochi, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you're currently working on? I am currently a postdoctoral fellow at Harvard Medical School in the lab of Dr. Connie Sepko. I did my undergrad at University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. And after that, I was a Fulbright fellow for one year in Switzerland. And then uh, I did my PhD at Harvard Medical School in the uh, Arlada's lab. And currently, I have two main projects. One is to understand at the molecular and cellular level, how cone photoreceptors, which are the light-sensitive cells in your retina, how they degenerate and how they die during this disease, this disease called retinitis pigmentosa. So that's my main project. And the second project is to develop technologies to facilitate asking questions for my main project. Very cool. And I saw you recently published a method that you call ProbeSeq. And with that method, you say that you can easily isolate potentially any cell type from potentially any organism and perform cell type specific bulk RNA-seq. That sounds very exciting. Can you please tell us a little bit more about that method and how it was developed? There are a lot of model organisms like mouse or Drosophila where it's fairly easy to label cell types of interest using things like promoters and enhancers that drive GFP. And then you can sort out by using facts these GFP positive cells to do RNA sequencing. And that's kind of been the gold standard for several decades now. But the problem is for many different organisms or even in mice, there are a lot of cell types now where we don't have these promoters or enhancers that drive GFP in a specific cell type. So our goal was, okay, let's say you're working on squid research and you have no idea what these promoters are. How can you take out specific cell types? So we leveraged a new uh, fluorescent in situ hybridization method called Saber, which was developed partially by, by the SEPCO lab recently. And using Saber, you can label specific RNA markers in, in dissociated cells. And ProbeSeq uses these, these probes to label these cell types that you're interested in. And you can then sort these fluorescently labeled cells using FACs. And after that, you can do RNA sequencing. So this makes it very easy to label basically any RNA marker that you're interested in and from any organism from potentially any tissue, and easily sort them out for RNA sequencing. And this allows you to get the transcriptional profile or the cellular state of any cell type that you're interested in. How is this method different from other existing methods in that field? Are there any other methods that allow you to do all these things? Or is this like really the first one that really allows you to do that? We had actually developed a protocol as a predecessor to this, to ProbeSeq, which we called FinSeq, which uses antibodies to label cell types. And there are several methods 
like FinSeq, where you can use antibodies. ProbeSeq was the first time that RNA was labeled from cells in vivo. And the advantage of ProbeSeq is that unlike antibodies, which we know to be sometimes finicky, they're very expensive, they have to be validated, and for many species, there are just no good antibodies for the markers you're interested in. So this leveraging RNA for your marker is fairly new. Very cool. And how did you get interested in this kind of research field? For the retina field, I got interested in it because I used to work on the brain side of the central nervous system. And I was always interested in neurodegenerative disorders, but it just seemed like the brain is so complex and so big, and there's so many uh, different things going on. That was kind of overwhelming, even if you're talking about Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's disease. It was just very difficult to manipulate things as well. So when I decided to join the SEPCO lab, I knew that the retina was very uh, you know, stereotyped organization, and it was easy to manipulate. There are many, many molecular tools. So, And there are, like retinitis pigmentosa, there are many neurodegenerative disorders. So I thought, if I can understand uh, what happens in the retina, then I can maybe apply that to the brain as well. And in terms of technology development, I always think that it's important to have a question in mind that has a certain problem and then uh, develop a technology to answer your particular questions that hopefully will be also applicable to many other problems that other people have. Right. And what do you think, what do you see are some challenging parts for you or for your team when you're developing methods or tools? I think there are many. One is reproducibility. You know, now that I've been doing ProbeSeq for the last year, year and a half, I can pretty much do it with my eyes closed. And I try to write as detailed of a protocol as possible. But obviously, when people around the world start using it or trying it, at least, it might not work as well as I had been doing it. So hopefully, it's reproducible among everybody who uses it. And another challenge is to get people to see the paper, get them interested, and then start using it. And that's probably what I see is the most difficult part about technology development, how to change people's behavior. People have been doing it the same way for many, many years. And this new technology comes out, how do you get people to adopt it? Right. So you said reproducibility can be challenging sometimes. And yep. I saw that you published a protocol on protocols.io. What are other things that you do to make the method more reproducible? Are there any other things you, you try to do to make it easier for others to use it and get it to work? So right now, I am getting feedback from other people who are trying the method. And obviously, they're emailing me questions. I tell them, right now, I've only... I uh, use ProbeSeq with the reagents that from this particular company and that particular company. And hopefully, as people start trying it, they can tell me, oh, I used this reagent from this other company and it still worked. Then I can start expanding the, like the requirements for the different reagents. And a lot of the reagents are fairly straightforward things that a lot of molecular biology labs have, like for example, tween 20 is something that almost every lab has, but 
are one of the postdocs who started using Queen 20 from a different company. He just lost all of his signal all of a sudden and couldn't figure out why. And then he realized it's because Queen 20 was not from Sigma. So it's these very small things that, that make it uh, sometimes irreproducible. And then after once people start telling me what works and what doesn't, then I can start expanding the reagent list. Right. So this is kind of then the minor tweaks for your method, for the probe-seek method, right? Um, but other than that, yeah. did you ever experience any minor tweak, major impacts in your research life? So it's interesting because my philosophy in technology development is all based on minor tweaks, I feel like. Right. I, a lot of the, the two technologies that I've de developed and the one that I'm doing right now I would say they are merging different techniques that are pretty widely available and pretty well established and then making a new function out of it. And that, I think, is, is kind of a minor tweak, but I think it can have a major impact. That's how ProbeSeq was developed. You know, people have been doing fluorescent in situ hybridization for decades, and people have been doing fax sorting for probably several decades. And people have been doing RNA-seq for the last you know, seven, ten years. So, but nobody's really combined everything. And that's kind of, I think of it as kind of a minor tweak, but right. probe can have a major impact. Right. So it's all the little puzzle pieces that you have to stitch together yeah. to really get the best out of each method. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. The next question is a little bit a different question, but what I was wondering, so there are like really literally like thousands of new scientific publications that come up every day. Um, and oftentimes I feel like it can be really overwhelming with like thousands of new publications um, that come yeah. out to stay on top of everything and really know all about the latest new things that are published. And I discovered your method because you tweeted about your new paper, which seemed to be getting a lot of attention. And I was wondering, what kind of role do you think social media platforms such as Twitter play in the scientific community these days? Are Twitter and other social media platforms becoming kind of like the go-to places to get the news about new exciting publications? And are there any other tools that you use personally to stay up to date with all the things that are happening and to get updates about new relevant papers that matter for your research? Yeah, so I'm kind of a newbie at Twitter. I only recently joined back in maybe April, and I am amazed at how fast things are moving on Twitter in the scientific Twitter world. I joined, and I, I very quickly fell in love with getting all the, the newest technologies and newest papers that come into, come into my feed every day. I think for the scientific community, Twitter has been the biggest player I don't see a whole lot of scientific mentions in things like Facebook, but it's probably the place where everybody's talking about science, everybody's sharing their newest fellowship that they got, their grant that they got, or the newest papers. And it's also great because they're also uh, sometimes critiquing each other's work, but it's a very friendly environment compared to, I hear that Twitter is a very nasty environment for many other topics, but The science Twitter world is very, very forward thinking and very nice to each other. So it's been a very nice environment. Another place that I always go to is uh, BioArchive now. BioArchive is the 
It's a preprint service, and it's becoming more and more accepted by labs around the world that before the paper gets published, sometimes even like a year before it gets published, you put it on bioarchive, and many people, especially the people on Twitter, find their papers, latest papers, first on bioarchive. So those are the two, I would say, places that I find the newest papers nowadays. I sometimes get email alerts from these journals, but that's restricted to certain journals that I'm interested in, so that's fairly limited in scope, whereas Twitter and BioArchive is, is more universal. That's very interesting. So I myself, I created a Twitter account, I think like it was like a year and a half ago now, and mm. I was actually very surprised to see how much science is actually discussed on Twitter and like how much scientists yeah. are using Twitter. I didn't know that that was actually a thing and that um, people do that. So it was very interesting to see. I even saw people are doing, like somebody was doing these kind of like Twitter poster sessions where researchers can post their research posters, right? And like, it was like a online poster session, which I thought was really interesting. I tell people all the time now to join Twitter because you're going to be late in the game. Right. Usually I find papers way before a lot of other people find them just because it pops up on my uh, feed. Right. That's very cool. Great. So do you have any last additional tips for scientists who are working on developing new methods or maybe optimizing existing methods? Any general tips that you can share with our listeners? I think for technology development, it's important to have a particular question in mind. I see a lot of technology development papers that are very big in scale and very high throughput, but if people don't use it, then it's not very useful. So I think it's important to keep in mind who the users are. A lot of the times, the people who are using it don't have millions of dollars at their disposal, and they have to do things that are within their budget. And making something very simple and easy to use is critical. Making a technology where it requires a very fancy microscope that only three institutions in the world have that's probably not going to be adopted very widely. So I would say try to use reagents that are already available in lab. Keep it very simple so that for me, I'd rather see a lot of people use it than a very select people, a select few people use it. So that's my advice. And our last question is, if you were allowed to make a wish for any tool in the lab that would make your life easier as a scientist, what would that be? It's something that... I've been thinking about and something that I think I'm going to start working on now, but we need a way to easily knock down different transcripts in cells. There's this new Cas13D that's been developed over at Salk, and they show that at least in vitro, you can put in these Cas13D construct with guide RNAs, and you can knock down basically any RNA transcript that you want very efficiently, very specifically. And if we can apply that in vivo, at least to the retina, that would make my research much, much easier because it's much more high throughput. It's very easy to make it cell type specific compared to shRNAs. So I think that's something that I'm very excited to start working on. And hopefully it'll work just as well as in vitro. And that can, that can really open a lot of doors for us. That's super cool. And I'm looking forward to seeing it if you do start working on it and if you do develop it. 
Yeah. Very cool. Thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your stories and insight on the Minor Tweak Major Impact podcast. Thank you for having me. This is your host, Anita, and we look forward to being with you for our next episode. <laughs>